230. 230. Higher ground. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land. A higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. Lord, lift me in prayer. Father, I pray this evening that that would truly be our desire, that you would plant our feet on higher ground, that we would grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, that we would just walk each day closer to you, that we would seek your will and surrender to that will, that we would daily take up our cross and follow you. Pray, Father, that Others would see Christ in us as Christ ones, Christians, a disciple of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that we'd be a testimony to those around us, that we'd be light and salt in this world. We thank you, Father, for each one who's come tonight. We just ask that you would encourage them as we come together to study your word and as we bring our requests to you. We pray, Father, for our teens as they're meeting tonight. We would ask that you would work in each of their hearts, whatever their heart need is, that you would open their hearts to the truth of your word, that they would apply it to their lives, that they would come to know Christ as their Savior, if that is indeed the, the need of their heart, if, if they're already saved, that they would just recognize the importance of complete surrender to you. Pray for our kids for truth tonight. We'd ask, Father, that you would Use this in their lives as well tonight as they come together. They're having a fun time, and yet they also have a time in your word. I pray that you would penetrate their hearts, even at that young age. Father, we look at the world around us, and we recognize there are many conflicts over in Ukraine. We recognize, Father, that 
Many are suffering. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ there in Ukraine and the suffering that they are experiencing. We pray, Father, that they might be a testimony for you through this time, that others would see their, their security in you during this time of great insecurity in their homeland. We pray, Father, for uh, our missionaries. We pray for Leon Kim and his family over in Myanmar. Again, Father, a very dangerous place right now with the military coup just continuing. And we ask that you would protect them, give them safety. But, Father, also it's during times such as this that many times hearts will be open to the truth of your word. And I pray that the, you would use them in a mighty way. Pray for Steve and Debbie and, and Nicole and Paul and their family down in Peru. And we'd ask, Father, that you would protect them also during the uprising there and the many riots and and the dangers that they are facing, we pray, Father, that you'd keep them safe. We know, Father, that you rule in the kingdom of man, and you are ruling now. And you will allow man to do his own will and fulfill his own desires often, and yet, ultimately, you are in control. They can go only so far and no further. No one can stop you from doing what you desire to do. And I pray, Father, that we might humble ourselves before your mighty hand. We ask, Father, also for those of our number who are sick. We pray that you would bring healing to each one of them. Pray, Father, for those who are sorrowing because of a loss of a loved one. We pray that you would encourage them. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. So again, Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to come together tonight and thank you for your grace in our behalf, allowing us to be here and for the help that you have given us so that we can be here together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's continue praying. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we just come before you to give you thanks regardless of our circumstances at times, regardless of what's happened in our life, we still come before you, Lord, and give you thanks for the breath that you have given us. We know for what your son, Jesus Christ, has done through his grace, given us eternal life. We do live in a sinful, hateful world here, and as we know, but you say you, you left us so that we could grow, that we could be given the Holy Spirit, which all believers have that have put their trust in you. Many times, Lord, our circumstances will pull us away from knowing that knowledge. We sometimes get caught up in worldly events, worldly actions uh, that are happening around us, and, and before we know it, Lord, if we don't stay close to like-minded thinking, like-minded individuals, especially reading your word, that we will fall into that uh, trap that Satan has set. And Lord, we need to understand that we are not meant to be there, that we, you, he can't take us from you, but certainly through our inactions, through our minds and this flesh of ours, we can get caught up in to things that aren't worthy to you. But yet we still need to be, have the mindset that those around us 
especially those that don't know you, they don't know any different, Lord. That's why we are here. We are to be the, we are to be the salt and the light for the world. Lord, we give thanks for those that are here this evening. We, Lord, we think of our pastors. We think of our youth that are downstairs now. We just ask you, Lord, to be with Eddie and the, and the helpers there. And, Lord, the, those that are, are so close to accepting you as Savior, Lord, may tonight be that night for some of those teens and young children. Lord, we know that it's only because of you that we can change, that our, you can take this heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh that is loving, kind, and can take the anxiety away from individuals that, that have no hope. You give us that hope, Lord. And tonight, Lord, we, we do think of Peru, we think of Myanmar, and we think of the uh, current over in the Russia war that, that's happening. Lord, we just know that there's so many things going on around the world that are evil things, that are wrong, that are destroying lives, killing individuals. But yet, Lord, you shine in that those moments. There's people also there that are taking care of the elderly, taking care of the sick, taking care of the orphans, taking care of those that are in need for clothing, for medical needs. We just give thanks for all those, Lord, that are out there uh, serving you and uh, in times of very, very difficult. We think of our school teachers, Lord. We think of the, the, all the great work that they do in raising our children in these school districts. But yet, Lord, we also think of many of the school districts where they're, they're teaching things that are unbiblical, that from kindergarten up through the grade schools, that, Lord, is just not your way. It's not what you would want, Lord, and what many people, most people, would not even think of teaching just five or ten years or ago, Lord, the, the world is on a spiral that can seem like it's out of control, but many times in this world, we know through your word that the world has been upside down, but yet, Lord, you have pulled your word and your thoughts through, and many, many people have been saved during, this, during those times. We do pray for a revival in this country throughout the world. We pray that they could come back to know you. We pray for our leaders in Washington, no matter what political party, Lord, that does not matter one bit. It matters that they can come to know you and their hearts will change. You get a changed heart, then your thinking changes and you become more like you. That's why you teach us in your word. Again, we thank you for the message tonight that Don will be bringing. We thank you for those that are here. We think of our shut-ins, those that may be in nursing homes, maybe those that have passed in just the last day or the last week or the last month that we've come to miss. We just thank you, Lord, that we can 
have the compassion on others only because of what you've done for us. It's not because we're a good person or that we're better than anyone else. It's only because of your grace that we can even stand here and pray the prayers that we have in our hearts and minds, not out of selfishness, not out of greed. We just glorify your name, Lord. We ask you to be with the service tonight, and we thank you for our time together in Jesus' name. As we continue in prayer, I just I thank you for all that you've given to us, God, and I confess that oftentimes in my own life and probably in many others here, our natural inclination is to complain and to see the negative and um, just grumble, and yet you have given us so much, and we can think about answered prayers, we can think about the way that you've worked in our life, but we give you praise and glory for, first of all, salvation, and the fact that you have redeemed us, and that we have a sure hope that we will be with you for eternity, and that is a great comfort, that is a great blessing. And as we come before you tonight, we do thank you for the answered prayers. Many times we pray, and perhaps you don't always see the answers to those prayers, but even in the unanswered prayers or the ones that we don't always acknowledge, you have answered. And we're just grateful for the way that you continue to work and are evident in our lives and in our community. So we thank you for that. I do pray tonight for the outreach team as they're meeting and just discussing ideas for how they can reach out to this community. And as Steve just prayed, our prayer is that there would be a revival. We, our prayer is that there would be a revival across the world, but certainly having it start here in Tawanda is, is very important. And so we just pray that this church can look for ways to reach out to our community and to to reach the lost, not just to, to stay here amongst ourselves, but to go out and reach the lost. And we, that is our, our desire and our prayer. I do pray especially for the Endless Mountain Pregnancy Care Center, um, the ministry that they do in our community, and also the ministry that they have with the, with the prison ministry as well. We just pray that you would continue to bless that that they would be a light to those who might be seeking. I also pray for our police officers, those who are on the front lines of and oftentimes putting themselves in dangerous situations. And that is, that is just a, a blessing um, to have men and women who would take that risk and sacrifice themselves to protect us, people that they might not even know, or, or um, we just thank you for their service, and we just pray that we can be uh, a 
comfort and a blessing to them that we can encourage them. Certainly with our prayers, we want to encourage them, but also just to, as we go around the community, just to be mindful and thankful for what they do. We want to pray tonight for our youth ministries as well. Pray that um, the young people that attend would hear the, the message of Christ and that they would come to know you and that they would develop a deeper relationship with you as well. I'm burdened to pray for the young people as um, the trend seems to be for, for young people to, to leave the church. And um, that, 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 that disturbs me because the church is a blessing and a comfort and to have that family of fellowship and believers and for people to walk away from that having grown up in the church. My prayer is that we would demonstrate love to the young people, that we would be a family for them and shower them with love and comfort. I pray that as Don comes that we, and as, as he opens the word, that we would be attentive, that what he has to say would be mindful to us, that, um, that it would be mindful to us and um, as we go from here, we would continue to think on it and have it impact our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Ezekiel 18 tonight. We spent several weeks looking at chapters 15, 16, and 17, and there are chapters that Ezekiel uses three different parables to point out the, the fruitlessness of Judah and the unfaithfulness of Judah, as well as the, the fact that they, instead of trusting in Jehovah, trusted in Egypt. And of course, the Babylonians came and Egypt didn't protect Judah as they said they would. And so they were taken captive. And now we come to uh, chapter 18. In chapter 18, we, we just see kind of the, the, the principle of God's judgment. Notice he says in verse 1, the word of the Lord came unto me again saying, what do you mean that you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel saying the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge? As I live, says the Lord God, you shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. What in the world does that proverb refer to? Fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Basically, those who were living in Ezekiel's time, who had been taken captive, um, they were looking at themselves as being righteous, but their fathers, their previous generation, they were the ones that sinned. And so because of the previous generation's sin, we're getting punished. So that was their mindset. They didn't see themselves as sinful, but the previous generation was sinful. And so the fathers have eaten sour grapes. We're paying the consequences, setting our teeth on edge. They did the sin, 
we're getting the consequences, the judgment. But then uh, God says, uh, as I live, says the Lord, you shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. He's going to set them straight. He's going to let them know that it wasn't just your fathers, the previous generation that sinned. You are sinning also. And he basically states in verse 4 the principle of his judgment. And what is that? Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sins, it shall die. He says, you're not going to pay the, the, the penalty for the sin of your parents. You're going to pay for your own sin. You're going to die. The soul that sins, it shall die. And so that's what this really, all of chapter 18 is, is about. He goes through a couple of examples, several examples of what he's referring to. First example in, in verse 5, he says, uh, if, the, if a righteous man uh, does, if a man does righteously, he then will live. So verse 5. But if a man be just and do that which is lawful and right and has not eaten upon the mountains, neither has he lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of the Israel, neither has he defiled his neighbor's wife, neither has he come near to, unclean, to an unclean woman, he has not oppressed any, but has restored to the debtor his pledge, has spoiled none by violence, has given his bread to the hungry, and has covered the naked with a garment. He that has not given forth upon interest, neither hath taken any increase, that has withdrawn his hand from iniquity, has executed true justice between man and man. He walked in my statutes and has kept my ordinances to deal truly. He is just. He shall surely live, says the Lord God. So the first example is if you as an individual do righteously, if you obey the, that Old Testament law, as you read down through those verses, that's all, that's all stuff from the Old Testament law. He says if you live by that Old Testament law, you're going to live. Now, Understand, he's speaking here at this time concerning this judgment, concerning physical life and death. He's not talking spiritual here. He's not saying that if you live by that Old Testament law, you're going you're to be saved. That's not the point that he's saying here. He's saying that if you are living a just life, then you're not going to die in this judgment. He shall live. So that's the first example. A righteous man will live by his righteous deeds, and he will indeed live. But then you come to verse 10, and verses 10 through 13, and we have a righteous man's disobedient son shall not live. A righteous man's disobedient son will not live. If he begat a son that is a robber, a shedder of blood, and that does the like of any one of these things, and that does not any of those duties, but even has eaten upon the mountains and defiled his neighbor's wife, has oppressed the poor and needy, has spoiled by violence, has not restored the pledge, and has lifted up his eyes to the idols, has committed abomination, has given forth upon interest, and has taken increase. Shall he then live? He shall not live. He has done all these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. So even though you have a righteous father... If you as the son commit these sins, you will die. In other words, the righteousness of your father is not going to spare you. The soul that sins, it shall die. And then verses 14 through 18, he says the righteous son of a disobedient father will live. 
the righteous son of a disobedient father shall live. Now, lo, if he begat a son that sees all his father's sins, which he has done, and considers and does not likewise, that he has not eaten upon the mountains, neither has lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, has not defiled his neighbor's wife, neither has he oppressed any, has not withheld the pledge, neither has he spoiled by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry, and has covered the naked with the garment, that has taken off his hand from the poor, that has not received interest nor increase, has executed mine ordinances, has walked in my statutes, he shall not die. For the iniquity of his father, he shall surely live. And as for his father, because he cruelly oppressed, spoiled his brother by violence, and did that which is not good among his people, lo, even he shall die in his iniquity. So he says, if your father is one who's committing these sins, but you live a righteous life, you'll live. Your father will pay for his sins. You'll live if you live that righteous life. So that's, that's the principle of his judgment. Now again, he's talking about this immediate judgment that's coming upon Judah at this time. That's what he's zeroing in on. And so he's saying you can't continue to use that proverb where fathers have eaten sour grapes and it has set our teeth on edge. We pay the consequences for our father's actions. No. The soul that sins, it shall die. You live righteously, you live, regardless of whether your father lived righteously or not. As a father, if you live righteously, you'll live, whether your son lives righteously or not. That's the point he's making. That's the, the principle that he's, he's setting forth in, in this chapter. Do you have any questions about that? Does that make sense? Switches gears a little bit as he comes to verse 19. Again, it's still this, this idea, the soul that sins, it shall die. But notice what he says. Yet you say, why? Does not the Son bear the iniquity of the Father? When the Son has done that which is lawful and right, and has kept all the, my statutes and has done them, he shall surely live. The soul that sins, it shall die. The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Just reiterating that same thought. But if the wicked will return from all his sins that he has committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. All his transgressions that he has committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him in his righteousness that he has done. He shall live. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should return from his way and live? In other words, now he's getting into, okay, here's a man who is living unrighteously. He is sinning, but if he repents, he will save his life. He'll not die. As he goes on, we begin to realize that was part of Israel, Judah's problem, because he, they, they accuse God of being unfair, that you're, you're making us pay for our father's sins, and God's straightening them out here, but then they also didn't leave any allowance for repentance. If you're a sinner and you're just going to die, that's all there is to it. There was no room for repentance in the mind of, of, the, of the Jewish people. And so God's pointing out here that, okay, here's a man who's sinning, but then he repents of his sin, he shall live. And then I, that verse there, he says, does God take pleasure at the death of the wicked? 
What does Psalm 116 verse 9, I think it is, what's that say? What is pleasant in the eyes of God? The death of his saints. Notice the difference. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. But he does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. When the righteous turns away, verse 24, but when the righteous turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All his righteousness that he has done shall not be mentioned in his trespass that he has trespassed, and in his sin that he has sinned in them shall he die. So in other words, he says you're doing righteously, but then you, you turn your back on it. You just walk away from it all. He says you'll die. That's the judgment that he'll bring. So if you're living in sin and repent, then you spare your life. If you're living, at least outwardly, righteously, and then you turn your back on it, you'll be judged. And that's where children of Israel then accuse God of being unfair. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not equal. Hear now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? That is fair. My ways are fair, your ways are not fair. When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and dies in them for his iniquity that he has done, shall he die. Again, when the wicked man turns away from his wickedness that he has committed and does that which is lawful and right, he shall save his soul alive. Because he considered and turned away from all his transgressions that he had committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. That's the grace and mercy of God, isn't it? That's what we see here is the grace and mercy of God in forgiving our sins as we turn to him in repentance. Verse 29, yet says the house of Israel, the way of the Lord is not equal. O house of Israel, are not my ways equal? Are, are not your ways unequal? Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions by which you have transgressed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dies, says the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live. That's ultimately the point of this whole chapter. He's pleading with them to repent of their sin. Don't think for one minute that you're paying the judgment that your fathers deserved as if you are righteous. No, you are unrighteous also. You need to repent. That's why this judgment's coming upon you. But he continues by his grace and mercy to plead for their repentance. They don't repent. And that final judgment does come when Jerusalem is, is completely destroyed. That's just a few years from this prophecy that Ezekiel is giving at this time. In just a few short years, there was no repentance. The judgment came. But the, in his grace and his mercy, he pleads for that repentance. And he does the same today. Whether it's an unbeliever, God pleads for him to repent. Maybe it's a, a believer who has just walked away from it. God pleads for repentance. Any thoughts or questions on that? Yes, Tim. Yeah. 
the, the question is on some of those verses that talk about not eating on the mountain. Um, they would set up idols uh, in the high places, it was called, usually up on top of a mountain. They would set up idols, and then they would have their feast to their idols on these mountains in the high places. Now, you read often in the Old Testament um, that, uh, you know, a, a king would begin to reign, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and he would tear down all of the high places, is the way it's put in, in the Old Testament often. And that's what he's referring to. The, the, the idolatry worship, the feast on the, in the high places. As we come to 19, we really have what is referred to as a, uh, a lamentation. We usually think of Jeremiah as being the weeping prophet, as Jeremiah wrote the book that we call Lamentations. But here Ezekiel has a lamentation. And that lamentation is over the, the princes of Israel or the kings of Israel. Moreover, take up a lamentation for the princes or the kings of Israel and say, What is your mother? A lioness. She lay among the lions. She nursed her whelps among young lions. And she brought up one of her whelps. He became a young lion, and he learned to catch the prey. He devoured men. The nations also heard of him. He was taken in their pit. And they brought him with chains unto the land of Egypt. What's he talking about here? The, what is your mother? A lioness. I, that's talking about the, the nation of Judah. Judah here is the lioness. The young lion is the king of Judah. Specifically, talking about a king that, that uh, was taken by chains into Egypt. That was King, uh, um, yeah, let me get the right name here, Jehoahaz. King Jehoahaz was the king that, that was taken by the Egyptians. You know, just prior to the Babylonians coming in 605 B.C. To, to take the first captives back to Babylon from Judah, just prior to that, again, we had... Uh, um, this connection between Judah and Egypt. But Egypt actually came and took some captives back to Egypt prior to Babylon coming. And he took, the Egyptians took King Jehoahaz back to Egypt as a captive. And then after uh, King Jehoahaz was taken to Egypt, then Jehoiakim became king in Israel. So, verse 5, now when she saw that she had waited and her hope was lost, then she took another of her whelps and made him a young lion. And he went up and down among the lions. He became a young lion and earned to catch the prey and devoured men. And he knew their desolate palaces and he laid waste their cities and the land was desolate in its fullness by the noise of his roaring. Then the nations set against him on every side from the provinces and spread their net over him. He was taken in their pit, and they put him in a cage in chains and brought him to the king of Babylon. They brought him into strongholds that his voice should no more be heard upon the mountains of Israel. So Jehoahaz was king. That was the first lion that was taken to Egypt captive. But then the Babylonians came against Jerusalem, and Egypt didn't go to try to defend Jerusalem at all. They just stayed down in Egypt. 
And so the Babylonians came and took King Jehoiakim captive back to Babylon. It was at that time, that's this, this second lion, King Jehoiakim. And that was in 605 B.C. when Daniel was taken captive along with King Jehoiakim. Um, no, Jehoiakim was not a king that did right in the eyes of the Lord. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Um, he had a certain amount of, of you know, he, uh, he was militarily strong to a certain extent, certainly not as strong as, as the Babylonians, but he had some strength. Um, not necessarily the people of Judah, but other nations, other nations had also come against him. Verse 10, your mother is like a vine in your blood, planted by the waters. She was fruitful and full of branches by reason of many waters. And she had strong rods for the scepters of them that bore rule. And her stature was exalted among the thick branches, and she appeared in her height with multitude of her branches. But she was plucked up in fury. She was cast down to the ground, and the east wind dried up her fruit. Her strong rods were broken and withered, and the fire consumed them. And now she is planted in the wilderness in a dry and thirsty ground. And fire is gone out of a rod of her branches, which has devoured her fruit, so that she has no strong rod to be a scepter to rule. This is a lamentation and shall be for a lamentation. He kind of changes the metaphor in verse 10. He now is looking again at Judah as a, a vine. And this vine grew. Judah was a powerful nation at one time. And it grew and it had branches, but it got torn down because of judgment. Again, the Babylonians came and tore them down. And, and it talks here of... Uh, was plucked up in a fury, she was cast down to the ground, and the east wind dried up her fruit. Their strong rods were broken and withered, the fire consumed them. The, the rod here would be a, a representation of the kings. They would rule with the rod. And Zedekiah was the last king in Judah before the Babylonians completely destroyed Jerusalem. And so as it says here, there was no, no rod in Jerusalem. And that means Zedekiah was taken captive. And as there was no rod in Jerusalem, no strong rod, in the, verse, the last verse in, in the chapter there, there was no strong rod to be a scepter to rule. Zedekiah was taken captive, Judah was destroyed, Jerusalem was destroyed, and they were no longer a nation. And so, again, this prophecy was prophecy to Ezekiel and those to whom he's giving it. For us, it's history. But I again remind you that it's just so precise in its prophecy. This hadn't happened yet. Zedekiah had not yet been taken captive when Ezekiel gives this prophecy. But the prophecy is fulfilled. Zedekiah is taken captive and there is no, there is no rod to be scepter to rule because the Babylonians destroyed him. Any questions? Again, when you first read some of this stuff, it's like, what in the world is he talking about? But as you, you know a little bit of the history, and, and it really makes perfect sense as, as you put the, the history to these, these object lessons and these parables that Ezekiel is giving. Ezekiel 
had a lot of these kinds of parables. We'll see more of them as we continue on. Just to, um, but again, I just I want to emphasize how the prophecy was so precise and so specific, and the prophecies that are yet future for us will likewise be very precise and very specific and will be fulfilled to the T. We can rejoice in a God who's in control. He knows the, the end from the beginning. He knows exactly how it's going to turn out. He's told us how much of it's going to turn out, and we can trust what he said. He will fulfill that which he said. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we're so thankful tonight for this opportunity to be together, for the truths of your word, for the exactness of prophecy. Father, it just gives us great hope as we see your promises for the future and how you'll work all things together for good. You will accomplish your will. We thank you, Father, for the privilege of studying your word together. Thank you for preserving that word for us. Thank you that we can study it with confidence that it is indeed truth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.